You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly, but even though there are times we We had to go back. Did we, though? I think I think we did. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Welcome back <laughs> to No Love Lost, the podcast where we re-examine the great ABC television series Lost. Uh, you threw in an extra word there. Uh, we we re-examine the ABC show Lost. I am Will Link. I love Lost unconditionally. And with me, as always... Megan Salinas, who watched Lost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we are going to talk now. We are breaking down Season 1, Episode 14, Special. Uh, It is written by David Fury and directed by... Oh, I'm going to fuck this up. (laughs) I believe in you. Greg Yatianes Yadi. Oh man, that's bad, Will. Yeah, I'm terrible with names. Do you want to spell it? Maybe, maybe. Y a i t a n e s. So, uh, what what was his first name again? Greg. Greg. Greg, if you happen to be listening, we are so sorry. Um, please feel free to tweet us with the phonetic pronunciation of your last name. We love you. Uh, well done on the episode. Speaking of tweets. Um, a few episodes back, uh, during the moth. We, yeah, uh, we got a great tweet. We got some tweets reminding us some. That's the thing. We are we're kind of diving back into Lost semi cold, which is the way. I think we kind of hope you're doing it. You've watched the show. You're rewatching with us, and you're like, oh yeah, that thing. And it was pointed out a lot of things about about Charlie, including yeah. him learning to that his we later, parents. His parents. We yeah. later see how he learned to swim. There's the greatest hits episode. Do, do we want to give a quick Twitter shout out to uh, to the person that, that mentioned that to us? Uh, do, 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 let me. I'm pulling up the Twitters in real time. Do, I believe do. it was uh, Dick Wound. <laughs> Un- was it Uncle Dick? Uncle hold Dick. On. Hold on, hold on. It was. It was Dick Wound at Dick Wound on Twitter, aka Uncle Dick, getting caught up and wanted to add to the discussion on Charlie's parents. So thank you, Dick. We really appreciate you you uh, giving us your thoughts. It was really nice to get the reminder. So thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, and keep doing that because, like I said, we are for, we're remembering a lot of things that are going along, but we for, we've forgotten well, a lot of things. And that's, like I said, that's what I want this to be. I want it to be this rediscovery for us and a discovery for you to want yeah. to realize how wonderful this is, and, Megan. And I will, I will be 100% honest. There are episodes I missed when I was in college. Like, there were 
there were a few episodes in those middle seasons that I know I didn't get around to and there were a few episodes in the final season that I didn't watch either and because I never revisited this series there are one or two episodes that I'm going to be like well this is the first time I'm watching them just because like maybe I had a class that night or maybe there was a club meeting that I couldn't get around and I never Look you know you trying to better yourself when you should have been watching Lost I watched it all the time with my friends. Yeah. We, we, it was a weekly tradition. I went every time I could. Also, I'll just say this: we're looking to we're we're gonna have some guests on in the next in in a couple of weeks. Yes. We're probably gonna start having some guests on, and I'll be curious to see what they remember, and they'll, or, they'll shame us. Sure. Into, yeah. Well, and it'll be also like you know we've had many discussions even before we started this podcast on on our thoughts on this series and what we like and what we dislike and you know who someone might have said some mean things but it, it is funny uh, and I know we talked about this a little bit when we initially started this podcast too in like our first episode but everyone who ever watched this show has an opinion on it and it it's honestly interesting seeing who falls on what side of the debate what who falls on what side of the argument um, because there are, there are definitely people I know that like love it love it un unconditionally and they're not necessarily people that i i would think would love it because i'm like oh you're you're a very critical television person you're a very critical media person and we're normally on the same page and yet like i feel so strongly about lost in this regard how can it differ so wildly from the way you watch the show and so it's it's going to be fun getting guests in here and seeing what their take on it is as well. It's going to be amazing when we get to the final season of this years from now. Um, because <laughs> When we're both like ancient. <laughs> well, because there are there are things we're going to get to in the series that admittedly I I do intellectually have a problem with, but emotionally I was so satisfied that I don't care and one of the things i have a problem with is something in this episode and it is this is a michael walt episode and the problem i have with this episode is it is a case a legitimate case of the writer set up some things that never got fully paid off mm -hmm. for some a little bit for reasons outside their control but we're going to talk about... I was about going to say, are we going to talk about those things uh, well, at, towards the tail end of the episode? Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, 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 we'll touch in, we'll, we'll touch them as they go. And let's start okay. with the flashbacks. Yes, let's do that. Because um, we get the flashback of Michael very excited to be a father. He's Aww. he's going he's gonna to be a... He's going to buy a crib that's going to put them out on Skid Row. He don't care. He but wants to give his son everything. He's so happy. And, like, oh, I I have to tell you, like, I, I remember emotionally. Here's the thing. I didn't remember a ton of the story beats of this episode. Um, and, and particularly with the flashback sequence, there was one thing where I was, like, that, that caught me off guard because I had completely forgotten about it. Um, but, like... I remember how this episode made me feel the first time I watched it. And this was definitely an episode that made me feel for Michael. I felt his struggle. Yeah. I empathized with him so much. And 
even towards the end of um, the episode when he makes a choice where normally trope-wise, I, I hate it when characters kind of fall in line with this trope. But for whatever reason, in the context of this episode, it worked so well for me. So at least when, when we're, we're contained to the flashbacks in this episode, I, I was along for the ride with Michael and... I don't know if it made me cry the first time I watched it, but I, I definitely went through all of those same emotional beats this time around as well. Uh, I, I think, and I'm going to find this also a lot, uh, you know, this episode aired like 14 years ago. Yeah. Uh, what was that, 2004, 2005? Uh, two, it had to be 2000. Maybe it aired in 2005. I was going to say, if it premiered in the fall season, it yeah. might have been beginning of 2005. But... You know, I, I don't I don't have children, but the older I get, I'm also able to empathize with different character traits more than I could have even 14 years ago. And yeah. there's a lot of things in the Michael Walt relationship that I'm I am looking at differently. There are so many things in this particular storyline that break my heart. And again, as, as you pointed out at the top of the episode, the worst thing about it is that these are things that never really get fully paid off because changes had to be made um unforeseen changes and and so that's the bigger tragedy of this episode is like this was so good and michael was presented as such a good character a good flawed character but like a, a character you could empathize with even well, if you don't agree with his choice he's trying to do the right thing he wants to make sure his girlfriend susan goes to uh, law school he's going to take the construction job he's willing to put in the 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 time for he's putting his dream on hold his dream of being an artist so that he can support them as she gets her degree and they they start a family together um and maybe maybe this is me pulling a little bit of like my own life but my my dad's a contractor my my dad and my mom work exceedingly hard to provide for their family and like I know that there's places they didn't get to travel to because they were raising kids and I they my dad works out in like 114 degree weather in the summer in the desert to provide for his family to build houses and to everything like that it so like Michael's struggle here, putting his dreams on hold and working his ass off in a manual labor job that, that like, ultimately, you know, it's pretty thankless and doesn't pay great. Like, it, I felt for him a lot. And, again, that's maybe me pulling from, like, too much of my own personal life. But, like, I felt for him. And, and I would, like, the very beginning of this episode had me rooting for him. However, again, the benefit of hindsight and, like, having seen this episode already, even though it was years ago, the moment they point out that she's, that they're not married and that she's refusing to take his last name, that's a red flag. Like, on the one, like, it's not maybe initially a red flag in this opening sequence. Like, maybe that's just their relationship. Maybe it's a Claire situation where, like, yeah. oh, they're just a free spirit. They're young and whatever. But the fact that she refuses to take his name is an immediate red flag upon a second watch. And the entire time we're going through this flashback sequence, I, I just look at the, the woman who is his ex in... Susan, right? Yeah. Susan? I just look at her and I'm like, 
do do all like lost flashback characters like you, Susan, hang out like with Randy? Hanging like, out with Randy at the box out, factory. Hanging out with Randy, just being terrible people who well, make terrible choices. Because because that's that's the one thing. Look, the, the relationship relationships don't work sometimes, especially a relationship that clearly there's a lot of pressure because i mean there's pressure on her now to have this career to support them and he's trying to support her and there's a there's a lot of problems here but then i gotta say it's pretty shitty she's pretty dismissive of him as a father and his ability to take care of the kid that she's gonna run off to i mean look i i don't know she has she i mean she should be able to pursue jobs she wants to pursue but when you have a kid, it's also weird. Like, I'm going to take this kid to another country it's, and you're never going to see your son it's again. It's despicable. Yeah. Like, um, again, it would be one thing. And granted, we are we are seeing this from Michael's point of view. And yeah. maybe I don't recall, much like a lot of the flashbacks in this season, I don't recall much about what we learn about characters in later flashbacks. Um, because usually, for because season one is the thing that sticks out most in my mind when I think back on like this show uh, because so much after season one I want to forget um but also it was because it was the first impression of a lot of these characters yes and so it's what sticks out in my mind the most when I think about them as characters and um so we're not seeing a ton outside of Michael's perspective in these we we don't know what the catalyst is of what yeah. of how their relationship but fell I, apart and I don't recall if we get more details on that like if he was abusive then she has every right yeah, to like but pick up and I, go I, I don't but, think there's ever anything I think it's just natural pressures that yeah. come with careers and childhood the, uh, raising children the perspective that we get in this episode is that she never maybe maybe she lied to herself for a good long while but deep down she never believed their relationship was going to work which is why she refused to marry him and why when she, she why she agreed to take the job whether or not that was because she was already having an affair with the the boss Brian um, was already going on it's why she lied to him about the adoption stuff and here's the really terrible bit is that like she refused to marry the man who wanted desperately to be the father of her child yeah and she instead said "Mm, no okay thanks i'm good but then when she found someone she did like forced that man to be a father when he didn't want to be and so that feels like such Petty, it, awful nonsense. She also threw the law in my face. Like, I have a steady income, and uh, who do you think? Who do, the, you think uh, who do you think they're gonna? Uh, and we're not married. Who do you think they're gonna let have this? Show? Like, I mean, that was cold. And it was then, extremely cold. And the only reason she has her law degree is because he was able to financially support her while she was in school. It's great that you know. Sorry, like we're we're like I, both on the same page yeah. about how terrible this character is. I know. Is. Uh, I mean, we watching these early episodes. I have no issue with Michael because whatever. But thinking back to the first time watching them, you're watching these episodes, going like, 
what's this guy's problem? He's got a little bit of a problem. And when you see this episode, it's like all of this makes sense. This guy has been through a lot of shit trying to get with his son. Much like we see with Jin later on, all of a sudden, all of the pieces fall into place for Michael in this episode. And we understand completely why he and Walt, why their dynamic is exactly what it is. And even if we don't think that Michael's making the right choices to get Walt on his side or really even be a good father, like we know that the reason he wasn't in his son's life was completely based on a lie. Um, oh my he calls, heart. He calls oh. and he said, put him on the phone. He can't talk. And he's like, I just want him to hear my voice. And she just won't do it. He loves that boy. He loved that boy so much. Why won't she just put him on the, just placate the guy? Like, I'm, I'm with you, Will. Like, I don't have kids. But, like, when in my mind, when you're an adult and you have a kid with someone, you forfeit the right to be petty towards them. Yes. Unle- unless it's a straight-up abusive relationship or emotionally manipulative, you don't have the right to be an asshole. What you need to do for the sake of your kid is make sure that you at least are on de- And I know that that's really hard to do with an ex. I know that when you have an ex, the, the, the main thing you... If you don't have... If it wasn't an amicable breakup that all you want to do is cut them out of your life. I get that, but when you have a kid, you don't get the right to be freaking selfish like that, no. Susan. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I mean, my parents got divorced when I was three. Uh, I don't remember really them even being together. If there was, if they ever thought about it, if there was ever anything going on behind the scenes, I didn't know about it, and they both were always at every event, everything, because you want to know what? My mom's not crazy like Susan. <laughs> I don't think I've had like such My mom a... didn't try to bring me to Amsterdam. I don't think I've had like such a strong visceral reaction to a character in the show in like a little <laughs> while. But I'm just like, you're horribly selfish, woman. You are horribly selfish. And yet at the very end, like Michael's a big enough person to like not resent her for it, oddly enough. Which is so interesting. It, it, it paints him in a very good light. So Michael is trying to, you know, he's like, I'm going to come there. I'm going to see my my son. And then... Yeah, when, she, when she's basically telling him over the phone, no, you can't see your kid. And also, BTW, I'm sleeping with my boss. Yeah. You know, while, while I said we were on a break. He walks out then into the street, gets hit by a cab. Now... Which is a very Jacob thing this to is, arrange. This is this is exactly what I was talking about because at, right before it happens, I was like, something about this scene is ringing a bell, and then boom, he gets tagged by this car, and I was just like, oh, this, damn! This is one of those lost moments that when you look back when the series is over and know that people were kind of manipulated in weird quote-unquote godlike ways to get to where they were on the island you wonder like what happened here what uh, because this puts michael in the hospital wouldn't be surprised if it was freaking ben driving the car (laughs) you monster it's a year of physical therapy and susan comes to it and she says hey i'm here 
didn't bring your son because I'm a terrible person. Because I'm a monster. But I'm going to pay all your hospital bills. To which Michael's like, okay, uh, what's the catch? And the catch is, uh, we want, uh, I want Brian. Brian. Brian and I are getting married. He wants to adopt Walt, which is a lie. What What goes through the head of a character like this? Does she just think it's easier if she just pays off Michael so that he well, goes away? Brian's also to blame for that lie. Well, Brian doesn't, like, uh, there's there's an SNL skit of, like, um, did you ever see the, like, um, My Little Stepkids SNL skit? Was, I'm sure I have, but I don't remember. It was from uh, the Natalie Portman episode. It got cut for time, but it's, it's up on their YouTube page. It's hilarious, but, like... There are a couple bits where, like, the evil stepmother, like, the kid playing the evil stepmother in this commercial, basically, um, feel like Susan in this episode. It's really bad. She's terrible. And you know what? I say good what happens next to her. (laughs) Good. Walt's there doing his homework, which apparently is about Australian birds. I never... I, I do have to make a point about this. Is this the first time since the pilot where we've been locked into one character's flashback and then kind of without any precedent leading up to this, we cut to a flashback of another character because Michael was not there for this scene yeah. with Walt. That's the, this is the first time that I, I think since, since the, the pilot, pilot where we that switched we've seen perspectives. Some. Okay. And Walt's there doing his little bird homework and... And, uh, and you know, Brian and Susan talking, but then Susan, oh, she doesn't feel good. She's like, oh, like she's, she's dizzy, has to sit down, or stomach, I don't she's know what's She's feeling very fluey is what Yeah, she like, says. oh. And, you know, much like, like, you know, like in the first act of a movie, if, like, a woman coughs into a handkerchief, you know by the end she'll be dead of consumption. She'll, you she'll know, like, by the end. You know that, like... At the end of Act One, she's gonna pull that handkerchief away, and there's gonna be blood. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. oh. Uh, so Susan's like, uh. And Walt's trying to get everybody's attention because he's a ten-year-old kid. Yeah, it makes sense. And he's like, hey, hey, and he's yelling for Brian to to look at the thing. You're not looking. You're mom, not looking. Mom, 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 mom Brian. Mom, yeah, mom, mom. He's doing that. <laughs> and then Bird hits the glass. Now, this is the first indication that we have that Walt has some sort of supernatural abilities, As right? He's thinking about birds. He's trying to get people to and look at birds. The, Did he manifest that bird now, to crash the into the window? it's shot and the way yeah. the actor who plays Brian plays the scene and the way the music indicates... Yes, I wrote the, that down. The, everything about the way this scene is executed insinuates that Walt did that, whether he meant to or not, that it was a very Stephen King-esque, this is a psychic child. Yeah. Um, Brian, the way he looks down, it's almost, you know, it's almost a little too over the top. Well, it's very Stephen King. This is one of the most Stephen King sequences this show does. It's like Carrie, which we all know is... Or Firestarter. <laughs> I was going to say what well, we all know. Carrie is Juliet's oh. favorite book. Mmm, good connection. Good connection. <laughs> it is a very, like, we're all very sorry, Cassie. It's Carrie moment, you know? Um, uh, it's, it's very, very and, in line with that. And Brian looks down at this kid. 
he seems terrified. So I gotta ask you, does Walt shine? I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Walt clearly. Here's the thing. Walt clearly has powers, and I want to get to them. I want to really dive into them a little later. I want to get through the flashback because there are other examples of this. Yeah. Um, but we see that, like, oh, his adoptive father is terrified of him. Mm. So I do want to ask. Yes. So sorry. Before we before we move away from this sequence, um, this is the first time, as far as we know, that his mother was displaying any sort of symptoms of this blood disease and a week later she's dead as we find out in the next flashback sequence i do want to ask do we think it's possible that without meaning to walt might have manifested his mother's disease what are the odds that walt killed his mom unintentionally this is shit i wish the show had explored when it came to walt (laughs) i there is zero evidence towards that however i am a hundred percent onto this theory (laughs) even though knowing there is no actual proof of this anywhere in the series i'm going to say megan you're 100 percent right uh maybe we could tweet at the the writer david david dave if you're listening dave we need to know did walt kill his mother dave you have to tell us dave so susan dead Brian shows up Whoa. again, <laughs> again without Walt. These they people keep are terrible. Coming. Why didn't he just bring Walt with him? Probably because he's a coward. Because if he brought Walt with him, he would have had to say, Walt, you're living with this man now. And it, it's also a gamble because Michael might have said no. He's got envelope full of money. He's got a round trip ticket and a one way ticket back. For Michael to bring Walt, gives it to him, they go to Australia. Which, I don't know, are you allowed to buy, like, for, I guess because he's the, the boy's adopted father, it's fine. But I was like, are you allowed to buy plane tickets for people that aren't you anymore? Like, yeah. as a parent, that makes sense. But I'm like, are you just allowed to buy a plane ticket for somebody that's not you? Maybe it's because I, I do all my, like, airline purchases online where you put in your own information and everything like that but like i'm like can you buy someone else a plane ticket if you don't know them i've had people buy me a plane oh didn't know michael yeah you're right like Uh, he must have had yeah yeah i'm gonna say it was very different in 2004 probably i don't know (laughs) so (laughs) online purchases were very different i don't know i don't know how Buying plane tickets worked back then. I don't know how things work on Qantas Airlines or whatever. <laughs> no, it's oceanic. It's oceanic. It's oceanic. I said Qantas because it was Australia. Well, we but We don't know what oceanic. flight he took to get there. I guess if it was round trip, it was probably oceanic, yeah. though. Um, so, Qantas. <laughs> never crashed. Qantas never crashed. It was true back in Rain Man, and it's still true. Is it still true? I don't know. I, I was going to say, you can't just say things on a podcast. Well, we have to fact check. Well, no, the two <laughs> things that are facts. Qantas has never crashed, and Walt killed his mother. These things are facts. Um, okay, so Brian's, like, desperate. He's terrified of Walt. Again, this is one of the most Stephen King-esque, like, plot lines and, this show has ever done. And this is where you really understand the relationship between him and Walt 
more than ever because it, it's at this moment it dawns on you they have never had a relationship. No. They have never it's been nine years, he hasn't even seen this child. This this whole reveal that Brian gives Michael freaking broke my heart. Um just that I didn't even want Walt, Susan insisted I wanted Susan, so that's why I adopted him. And he lies about first. He's like, "Oh, she wanted you to have custody, Michael. She didn't want me." To. And, and Michael, Michael's like, "That's a load of bullshit." Yeah, she he calls him on the BS right away. He goes to Australia. There's a brief scene, which we'll get into more when we get to the island stuff, where he finds a box full of what were letters he had sent. And the, the nanny gives it to him. Yes, and, yes, uh, you're right. It, again, good performance, you know, for, for a very minor actor in this episode. Great performance of, this is something I think Walt should have. Excuse me. The emotion in her voice when she dismisses herself is spot that, on. Well done. That well nanny's done. not happy with what's been going on no, in this house either. she knows it's bullshit, Susan! Yeah. Maybe the nanny <laughs> killed Susan. <laughs> Trying to right or wrong. Very difficult to do without powers if Susan died of a blood disease. That nanny's putting something in her blood. I don't know if that's how that works. That's man. how it works. <laughs> I'm a doctor. <laughs> so Michael goes to see Walt, and it's this very awkward thing where Michael kind of lies. He basically kind of makes Brian not seem as bad. Like he's like, like no, you have to come with me. Like I. Yeah, uh, Brian. Now, here's the thing. Uh, normally, because, yes, Walt um, and Walt gets lied to by Michael. Michael lies to Walt to protect him in this moment. Yeah. Uh, Walt has just lo- lost his mother, and he says, I'm not going with you, you know, because Brian is his dad, which uh, another little great tidbit of, like, an indication of their relationship before it gets fully revealed is in, the flash- in Walt's flashback, he refers to Brian as Brian instead of dad, which... Yeah, I don't know. If I was adopted when I was two, I would probably refer to the person who adopted me as dad. Yeah, that's interesting. As a instead of Brian, because Brian is what you call your stepdad, not your adopted father. Um, so a great, great again, kudos to the writing for like that little detail before we get the full reveal. Um, but here, normally, I hate this trope. I hate the trope of one character lying to another one to protect them. Quote, unquote. You guys can't see because this is an audio format, but I just made air she quotes. She made air quotes. I made air quotes with my fingers. Um, uh, but I hate that trope so much because it it seems lazy. It's very. It's usually very dismissive of female characters. It It bothers me a lot of times and it often is lazy shorthand to create drama where yeah. there doesn't need to be some but for whatever reason like again maybe it's just because i'm drawing on a lot of like personal parallels here in this moment this is one of the few instances where i completely understand well, yeah, why I, this character does this and i don't blame him i for think it. it's also different when it's a child who doesn't necessarily understand a lot of things about adult relationships and the way the world works. The first time that these two people have been face to face since Walter was a baby. And my, again, 
the whole reason they don't have a relationship was based on lies and manipulation from someone whose motives and thought process we will never know because she's dead. And this, he basically, you know, Walt seems begrudgingly accepting of Michael's explanation, and then they decide to steal Brian's dog. <laughs> Which I thought was freaking hilarious. <laughs> That's great. I had forgotten that detail <laughs> where he's like, Oh, Vincent's Brian's dog, and it's just like... Which, again, if Brian... Oh, Brian said you could have him. If Brian is your dad, but there's a distinction between the family dog, your dog, and Brian's dog, that, again, is a is a very... Inter- it's, a, it's a very telling thing about the relationship I Walt hope, and Brian had. I hope Brian came home that day to see Vincent was gone. I hope he was really upset about it. <laughs> I hope he was really... It is funny to think that Michael got away with stealing that man's dog. Yeah, it's funny because it's a very dramatic, more, more than a lot of them even. It's an extremely dramatic and in, 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 in heartbreaking flashback. And then it ends to me on like a, a fun well, little note. Of, yeah, we're going to take, take that dog. Kind of, it, I don't know if it undermines or makes it better or is like kind of funny to think about the fact that like, of the emotional role that Vincent plays in the final moments of this series. It's just so funny to look at Vincent and not think of him as Walt's dog, but to think of him or or the island's dog or or the oceanic cruise dog. Uh, to, to just think of him as fucking Brian's dog. Brian's <laughs> just dog. There in the final moments of this series. <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh or cry at that thought. <laughs> Brian's dog. Um, okay, let's get to the island because yes, sorry, we spent like a lot of time talking about these flashback sequences because we just hate we Susan hate Susan so much. We hate Susan. We hate Susan. We hate Brian. Yeah, we like we love the nanny. Yeah, she's we great. love the woman who gave him the bad joke. Oh. Um. Okay. About penguins this, getting sunburned. Stupid dad joke, but the fact that he hates it too is so sweet. And then he does, the, and he's a good artist, guys. He put his dreams on hold for his baby boy. Can can I just say, well, again, I feel like it's very rare where we're on like the same wavelength about anything. Yeah. Can we do it like a high five right now? Okay. Because, all right, you guys heard it on air. High five about how great this part of the episode was maybe we'll disagree coming up who knows <laughs> well we cut we get when we're at the island michael is yelling for walt this is going to be a familiar thing that we hear uh, for the next season and a half of him yelling, Walt. that's his character walt. for the next season and a half by the way if this show had been made in the age of like memes that we live in now <laughs> like the walt meme would be like how the walking dead has carl I'm Coral. actually this really be surprised wild. that no one has taken anything from Lost and made it mimetic. Or at least as far as, like, my internet consciousness is aware. Like, I've seen Lost memes, but... Uh, I mean, shout out on Twitter to Out of Context Lost because yeah. they're hilarious. <laughs> um, what's interesting at the beginning of this flashback, Michael's looking for Walt. He's annoyed he's looking for Walt. And there's a conversation about how Hurley's like, he hates being a dad. Like, yeah. he hates being a dad. And it, it's... It, he was just so 
he was a man who had made himself prepared, then kind of resigned to the fact that I will not be a dad, and now he's thrown into it. It's not that he hates it, he just no. he doesn't... He, he more hates the situation yeah. and that he doesn't know how to no. do this and be he this person. He loves his son more than anything else in the world, and regardless of what happens to Michael's character later on down the line... That is his defining character trait, is how much he loves oh, Walt. Every, every horrible thing that Michael will do throughout the series is because he loves Walt. And it's heartbreaking, again, to like think of it in that context of like... Because clearly there were better plans for this character. There were better plans for this character, and sadly, real life gets in the way of that. But like in the in the context of this episode, he loves Walt unconditionally. And the fact that life or Susan gave dealt him this hand is unfair. So he's looking for Walt, and of course Walt is in with Locke because Walt has joined the cult of Locke. And it really is he's like he's indoctrinating can, children. Can we say like can I just say how like creepy this moment was? Like Locke is a fine parental figure in terms of like trying to teach people things. And and Locke's intentions in this episode are pure in terms of wanting to respect Michael's wishes. But can I just say that this moment of Locke trying to teach Walt something while Boone Looks on is like a real creepy moment. It's the real, cult like, of Locke is real, guys. He, he's like indoctrinating this yeah! child, and Boone, because of the events of last episode, Boone is all in on Locke to the point where then when Michael comes and Michael is waving a knife in Locke's face, but Boone is like, "I will take him down. I will die for John Locke." Guess what? <laughs> Spoiler, <laughs> Spoiler alert! alert. <laughs> yeah. So, Boone is all in. Um, but this is it. We see another example of Walt possibly manifesting something to happen. Uh, Locke tells him, like, he has to see it in his mind's eye. See the thing with the knife. And then, Boom, he bam, succeeds. He succeeds. He, he succeeds. nails it. He nails it right into the tree. We've seen him also previously with the backgammon game. Like, hints of this well, throughout. Well, and again, great kudos to the to the pacing of this show. Because you don't. I mean, in this moment, it's just a kid succeeding at something he tries. Uh, and it's not until later in the episode when we get, like, the full context of what, of what Walt might be capable of that we see this moment in a completely different light of, like, oh, no, he made that happen with some otherworldly abilities. Now, Locke wants Michael to let Walt realize his potential. And but he doesn't put it that way. Like, it'd be one thing if Locke... Well, he Locke, does say realize his potential. He, he says realize his potential, which is the creepy way of saying it when you look at this in the context of it being the cult of John Locke. What would make more sense to me if I was hanging out with a kid and their parent wasn't happy about it? First of all, I wouldn't because that's weird. Um, <laughs> I'm not a weirdo like John Locke. But second of all, like, the thing, the way to pitch it to the dad is like, hey, we don't know how long we're going to be here. It's important to teach your son survival skills. Yeah. What happens if he gets separated or lost? God forbid that happens. You need to make sure you, Michael, as his father, 
you need to make sure he's prepared in any situation. But this does end up lighting a bit of a fire under Michael's ass because Michael's like, no, my son is not going to stay on this island. Because he recognizes when someone's trying to get his son into a cult. So he, after also a brief little conversation with Sun, where she sneak talks well, to him. I, I love this moment of just like, he She's can't checking grow, in on him. And, he can't grow up here. Yeah. And this yeah. is a moment I really appreciate between the two of them because it it's played more platonic than it is romantic. Yes. Yes. And and that's what I wish like the show had leaned into a little bit more. So Michael decides, I'm going to build a raft. And he goes and he tells the gang, I'm going to build a raft. And they're like, that's not a good idea. Uh, so- it's funny, as like Saeed is talking about the Black Rock and trying to triangulate coordinates and Shannon's like and the fish song and Jack's like I don't know the context of any of this okay but like it's the man that comes in and that goes maybe we build a raft that everyone goes that's bonkers you're but, bonkers but Michael they have a point like the yeah, Pacific sure. Ocean is gigantic and they have and no idea where they are they have to find a shipping lane and hope they get discovered and, and you have no idea where the nearest body of land is no joke, it is a bonkers plan. But I'm just saying that the things that Saeed and Shannon are saying in this moment to Jack as they're like pitching it to the leader of the island, uh, or the de facto leader of the island, are equally bonkers. So Michael's like, nope, I'm going to do this. Even if I have to do it myself, we could use the seats from the planes because your seat can be used as a flotation device. Which, again, kudos to... It breaks my heart that it didn't work out for him as a character. But, but like, what ingenuity? What ingenuity? Yeah. yeah. Michael's a smart guy. He's, He's a crafty guy. He's such a guy. smart guy. And, it, again, it breaks my heart what it ultimately ends up happening to him because it's like, that is brilliant. That is a brilliant move, Michael. So they're going to put together this raft. And he's like, my son's going to build it with me. And he goes. And his son's busy reading a Spanish comic book. This uh, moment where he tried to connect with him made me so sad and he realizes that oh his son likes the pictures in the book he can't understand the language but he likes the pictures in the book and walt doesn't walt kind of ignores him because he's a 10 year old kid who has no relationship with With this this man man. but just that that like of like oh you know when i was your age i used to i used to trace the pictures It, it again i'm drawing a lot from my own personal life but like i remember seeing my older brother um draw pictures from his spider-man comics and this is a, a flash comic book and like and then later on i tried to do the exact same thing and so like trying to recreate the pictures in the comic panels that you're seeing in front of you like it like it warmed my heart that michael tried using his art to reach out to yeah. his son and it fell on he, deaf ears he thought this is a way i can bond with him now, we also linger for a long time on the image of a polar bear in this comic book. Mm-hmm. Now, and and then ultimately, again, Michael doesn't make the best choice, but like he ultimately ends up throwing the comic in the fire yeah. later on. Um, and this is where we, we ask the question of like when the polar bear shows up, is like, did Walt do that? Well, now this is this is the problem. Now let's get to the, the heart of this problem because we're in it. We're in the peak of Walt's powers here. 
they they created this character that they clearly wanted to give some form of psychokinesis, supernatural, yeah, yeah carry type thing or something where you can manifest things or control things. Mm-hmm. I guess it's it might be more controlling things than actually. I keep saying manifest, but I mean no, there I, are birds, so he controlled a bird to think. There are. It's interesting in thinking of it as controlling though, because they're they're. I don't know how many polar bears there were on this island, um, but like if, if there was only one and it was dead, because granted we again we don't know, then he either took control of a polar bear that was already on the island or he manifested. Or just one. thinking about the polar bear brought the polar bear to. And but there were of the odds that were on to, a tropical island with polar but bears. But this also isn't the first time he's looked at the comic book. That's true. So I, I would have to. This is the bad thing about like revisiting the series is that I'm like, wait, I have to go and look at the pilot but, again because was he looking at that pilot in the first episode? But here's the other thing. We know for a fact that there were actual polar bears on the island. Which is an explanation that they come up with later after I feel like a lot of this Michael stuff has sort of, sort of gotten shaken out. Would, so they use that as an explanation would, when the answer could have been well no they were just manifested well see now that's the thing would the series have been better off never getting more into the polar bears <laughs> oh and my god us, well, i can't wait. believe we're having this discussion but i mean this is this is the time to have it would it have been better off not getting into the polar bears and just making us think walt manifested them without ever presenting any further evidence that he did i mean would that have been a better thing or would people have been more annoyed by that because like well we never got any proof that he manifested the polar bear or you know what probably would have been better is whatever story they wanted to tell with walt being told okay so here's here's where the issue came with walt the young actor who played walt he grew up because that's what happens when you cast a kid they, in a long-running show. They cast. They probably should have cast somebody younger to begin with. Or, I don't know, maybe don't cast a kid at all. Or just make your series shorter. Well, even by, like, the third season, it was through, he was... He was big. And there's a joke about it. There's a he joke. He was getting tall. He there's getting later tall. in the series, there's a great joke joke where Locke's like, has a vision of Walt. And he's like, it was Walt, but he was big. And then I think it's Sawyer goes like, like a giant? <laughs> and it's, of course and it's, they give that line to Sawyer. <laughs> and it's a great, it's a great joke. But, I mean, that's what happened. The actor, they're like, oh, this is only supposed to have been, like, two months. And he and puberty hit this kid hard. Yeah, he he shot up like a beanstalk. Yeah, so, understandably, they abandoned a lot of Walt stuff. And Walt comes into play throughout the series here and there. Well, and that's, to the show's very limited credit... Um, to the show's very limited crit, fuck you. It's <laughs> Sorry, brilliant. that's mean. To the show's brilliance. To the show's credit, you never know as a show how long you're going to go. I feel like most shows feel like they get lucky if they get three seasons. Yeah. Um, very, very few shows make it to 100 episodes. Very, very few make it to syndication. So... Even though this was a big gamble for ABC, because as we touched on, you know, the pilot was super expensive. Even though this was a big gamble for them, 
you never know how successful your show is going to be. You never know what the ratings drop off is going to be after a compelling pilot. So, like, I understand casting a kid and then going, oh, wait, shoot, we weren't planning on seven seasons. And this is one of the very few things I will give this show credit for of, like, oh, no, we didn't know we were going to be successful. And then not necessarily having a contingency plan. Yeah, well, because, I mean, you can't... You can't predict Yeah, you can't that. predict these things. You can't predict your success. For all they knew, they were only going to get two, maybe three seasons. Yeah. You never and, know with television. And this is a problem that we'll get into, particularly when we get this to is, season three. This is kind of a, a larger industry problem. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because it's gotten to the point with series where I almost don't want them to go on long. Like... I was I was watching uh, you know Better Call Saul the other the other night and I'm like I love this show I hope they don't go more than like five seasons yeah you, you know like I almost want things to wrap up and to have a game plan and to have an end game. See, Lost was one of those series that made me instrumentally that that like it instilled in me this desire of. There needs to be a plan. But there needs is, to be a beginning, is, and a middle, and an end. But this is also a network versus cable issue for uh, this yeah. show, too. Again, this is a little bit and, of an industry and issue. And this is also a 2004, long before we were streaming Television things. was very different then. Television now is like... It's a completely different business model. Now everything is television. My, my iPhone <laughs> is television, you know? Okay, you so... You can consume media in a way that was inconceivable in 2004 so walt sees Locke, and he's helping his father you know he's like feels like it's kind of a punishment thing he's like oh, i think it's punishment working with your old man or something like that like it feels like punishment it was like that's a lazy entitled brat thing to say right there and then he sees lock and boone walking back towards the cave so well, well, it's like I'm gonna get some. Uh, I'm gonna get some water, and Mike's like, "Bring me some too." But and Walt he doesn't just, even. He doesn't even acknowledge it or hear him, and, and and you get it because this kid doesn't know this man. And two, and it hurts me. It hurts it, me. Will and to Locke's credit, when he approaches Locke, Locke is like, "You got to respect your father." You got like Locke is. If saying, only oh, Locke had been that respectful when it came to Boone. Oh man. Well. Well, I mean, it's a different situation. Who's an adult man that he drugged and indoctrinated and brainwashed? <laughs> different situation, but it, it, I mean, again, to John Locke's credit, he's like, "Hey, your dad doesn't want you hanging out with me. Don't hang out with me." But Michael comes over and he immediately gets angry at Locke, getting in Locke's face. And Locke tries to be like, "I was going to give him this." I think he says a pencil, but it's a pen. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a peace offering. As a peace offering. Which, why don't you just tell the truth, Locke, of like, hey, I was telling him to buzz off. Also, here's this pen. I'm sorry for the bad blood. Uh, Walt's basically like, you're not my father. And it's like, Meh. like, everybody's upset. Michael's like, go, go stand in the corner, which is that rock over there <laughs> near the caves. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, he runs off again. He threatens to kill John Locke, which... He does. Not a smart move, Michael. It, it might explain 
a little bit of what like happens to him if John if you look at this in the context of like John Luck is the favorite of the smoke monster or like the the select the already pre-selected candidate for the man in black like you could it like it makes a little bit of sense that tragedy befalls Michael later on down the road after like threatening the 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 person that the smoke monster was like no you can't kill him just yet he's my chosen vessel so walt is punished but of course he runs away with vincent and they run off into the woods or jungle and idiots and um michael's like where's my son I don't know why he wasn't watching his son at that point. He was just looking down at the ground by the waterfall, feeling sorry for himself. So that Hurley had to point out, hey, your kid's gone. Damn it! (laughs) Uh, But Locke, being the the bigger man, even though being threatened, he's like, we will, uh, I will help you find your your child. I do like that even though... John Locke is doing all the right things in this episode. For whatever reason, I still get this underlying sense of creepiness from him completely throughout. Even when he saves the day at the end and they're working together and everything like that. I'm still like, "Mm, I'm still getting this weird vibe from you, John Locke. So, Walt has encountered a polar bear in the jungle because Vincent ran off. He chased Vincent. Did he manifest this polar bear? Did he accidentally take control of a pre-existing one? I think he took control of a pre-existing polar bear that was already on the island because we know there were polar bears on the island. Not knowing that there were polar other polar bears on the island. I definitely, in 2004, I definitely watched this as and thought that he manifested it. Yes, yes. Like he uh, saw oh, it in the comic book and manifested Back in 2004, I believed the same thing, that he created that polar bear with his mind. Out of nothing. But yeah. then, you know, there were actual polar bears. Sh- there shouldn't have been actual polar bears. That opened up a confusing can of worms. But I understand that it was probably, for the average viewer, more confusing to just accept that this character, who was no longer on the show at that point, manifested polar bears when he happened to be there. I wonder if that wasn't the initial and plan, if his powers were were less of, like, taking control of things and more manifesting them. And then when that plan didn't work out, they were like, uh, yeah, he just took control of the polar bears that were already there. It's fine. Or uh, if that was always the plan. I don't I don't know if there was ever a proper the, explanation I mean, were, for yeah, the polar the bears. The polar bears. I mean, they give an explanation Ugh. for the polar bears down the I road. I said a but... proper explanation for the polar bears. Um, Not an adequate one. <laughs> so uh, he's cornered in the trees. He's hiding in the trees, which is a similar spot that Boone found himself in with Shannon when they were being attacked by the smoke monster. The that was only in his vision. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Walt's there screaming for his dad and Locke and his dad show up and they figure out. And again, Locke is giving Michael the opportunity to be the hero, just like he did with the dog. When they when he found the dog mm-hmm. for Michael, um, they they climb, they decide to go up high in the trees. It's it's also interesting. Uh, sorry uh, to to interrupt, but like it's also interesting that he was calling for Locke and his dad, and these two characters who have been diametrically opposed this entire time are now working together. And granted, we see contextually that they're they're just working together Walt to find manifested Walt. But them. if we look at his powers not as manifesting but as yeah 
controlling other things. It's like all these two characters who have never gotten along are suddenly working together. Mm, is that maybe a subtle manipulation yeah, from Walt? That's what Walt wanted. Walt ended up getting what he wanted. His 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 kind of his real father and kind of his island father. His father figure. There, they they teamed up. But again, Locke lets Michael take the lead. Polar bears trying to get into those trees to get Walt. Uh, terribly CGI <laughs> I was polar gonna bear. say, the 2004 network television special effects polar bear, which I'm sure at the time it looked fine. I don't remember it looking bad at the time, but like eh. 14 years later, I'm like, oof, too bad the, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. FX team like wasn't on this. Oh, man, that would have looked like a real polar bear. <laughs> so uh, Michael gets above the trees. He basically, he throws Walt a knife down. Like if it gets too close, like stab at the polar bear. Then Michael gets down there. He sends Walt up. Locke's got kind of a vine pulley system going on and michael's there michael ends up stabbing the polar bear uh eventually the polar bear runs off off. they save the day cut to nice evening fireside chat where michael shows walt the letters that he sent that he had always sent him these letters and these drawings and they Mm. finally have their bonding moment and again Michael's the bigger person here because he gives these to Walt and it doesn't take long. And Walt's a bright kid. It doesn't take him long to figure out mom had these. She didn't give them to me. Why didn't she ever give them to me? Which is exactly what a kid in his situation would say. And Michael, being the better person, he could have gone with, you know, this kid who's still reeling from the death of his mother. He could have been like, well, it's because Susan was a terrible person. But instead he goes, I don't know, but she didn't throw them away either. Yeah. That means deep, deep down, your mother wanted you to have these, which I'm sitting here going, she's a terrible person for for keeping this from him. But Michael, you know, the person who once loved this woman, he he manages to see the good in what what was objectively a terrible thing to do. He even says in the, the flashback, like, like when we had you, me and your your mother loved each other very much. Yeah. Like Walt came from like he was a child born of actual love. Of actual love. Um, oh my heart. Okay, we're 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 running a bit long here, but we let's are. let's get. I had a to, lot of feelings on this one, Will. Let's get to the the B story briefly, which is Charlie is looking for Claire's diary well specifically he's looking for all of her stuff to keep it all safe yeah but the diary is the missing piece and of course when he doesn't find the diary in her luggage who must have it sawyer must have can i just point out that who does he turn to to help him in this scenario no one but detective kate kate's on the case kate's on the case of course (laughs) when when kate's on the case nine times out of ten it leads to sawyer (laughs) That does not diminish her detective abilities. It just means that Sawyer is the most likely suspect whenever there's a crime. And guess what? Sawyer does have the diary. Which, again, I know we talked about it a lot in Confidence Man of like him trying to purposely inspire 
the hate from the other people on the island. But like the the things he said to Charlie were so mean in this yeah, moment. He was because Sawyer did not read the diary, but he starts making up things about Which how Charlie's a such creepy. Such a Sawyer thing to do yeah. to take the diary and then never read it. And then he's like, "Oh, Charlie's a creepy stalker and this Charlie. limey bastard." Yeah, is one of the things um, he says. Th- he's making up all this stuff that's in it. Uh, he would have event. I do believe that he would have eventually gotten around to read it because he sure. like he's a voracious reader for sure. But like at the same time, that's like not the first thing he chooses to read. No, because Claire could come back at any moment. You never um, know. You know, but- Charlie punches Sawyer. Sawyer punches Charlie, and he's got a fucking shotgun punch sound effect like well, Indiana I'm Jones. I'm pretty sure that he's got like a foot and a half on Charlie. Yeah. And but, Sawyer is also like a pretty muscular man. But when he punches him, it's like Indiana Jones. You know how when Indiana Jones punches, it's like a shotgun going yeah. off. He punches. Sawyer had one of those punches. What I love about this moment is even though Sawyer is so strong and imposing, Charlie turns to him and is like, ah, oh, you're you basically hit like a wimp. And that's when you remember, oh, yeah, this guy's a freaking rock star. And he comes from freaking Scotland. Like, he's been in some brawls, dude. Yeah. He's been in some drunken brawls. There is nothing Sawyer can do to him that ha- can hurt him any more than a drunken brawl he had in, gla- in, in Scotland at some point. So, uh, so, so they get the diary back. Charlie's trying to keep all Claire's stuff safe. Then there is a very long, almost silent movie-esque sequence of Charlie going back. I mean, this I can absolutely hear it like... Yeah, like where Charlie, he's really playing this broadly. Where he's pulling at that, he's looking, then he doesn't look, then he doesn't look, then he looks, then he doesn't look, then he looks. Then he puts that, then he's sitting on his hand, then he's putting it in the thing, then he's putting it, buries it under. on like the, on top of the other bag. And this goes on for like over 30 seconds, which is an eternity. Can, can we just agree that Charlie is the best physical comedy actor this show has to Charlie offer. Chaplin of the show. <laughs> I wonder if that wasn't like a little bit of an intentional nod. But like, here's the thing. It, we had this discussion when, um, when with the peanut butter. Like, this could be creepy. Like, this is a moment where like reading a woman's diary is a creepy thing to do. However... Because it's Charlie and because there is this struggle of like, no, I need to respect her privacy. It's wrong. Yeah. What I'm tr- what I want to do is wrong and despicable. And I'm bloody scum for wanting to know. And he's 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 legitimately struggling with it. And, uh, and, and here's the thing is, I don't think if Sawyer had been so mean I feel like he probably would have just like buried the diary away in her mm. bags and might not have read he it. He would have read the diary. But because Sawyer was like, oh, this guy's so creepy, like that plants the seed of doubt in Charlie's mind. Uh, and I, that's what causes this internal struggle. He would have read that diary. He probably would have read that diary. I mean, look, I'm going to be honest. I would have read that diary. Here, if the girl I liked <laughs> disappeared into the jungle well, and all I had was her diary, again, I'd probably con- go read that diary. Contextually speaking, 
he might never see Claire again. Well, that she might have been taken by people who were going to murder her. Here's the thing: if Claire were there, and there was the diary, I would never read it. No, of course not. But captured by others in the jungle. She again in this scenario, she might not. She might already be dead. And when he does eventually give in and reads it, there's very positive things about Charlie. It says, Charlie makes me feel safe, all this stuff, and it's heartwarming for Charlie. And, and again, this is all in the execution of the scene because Charlie as a character is so charming. We forgive him for violating her privacy. I will say that's potentially problematic, but it's all in the execution. You play this a little differently, it's real creepy. But because it's Charlie, we forgive him. Um, he finds out about a dream she had in the diary about the Black Rock. I don't see the the one dream sequence of or the I think one dream sequence of hers that we've seen so far was that one with Locke with the black eyes. I don't recall there being a Black Rock, but at least kudos to the show for setting the precedent that she's having nightmares. It would have been better if we saw it. Rabble, rabble, rabble. Island produced nightmares that are telling her about the Black Rock going to the Black Rock, which happens to... Stupid island magic. Which happens to match into the triangle where they believe the signal from the French woman was being sent from or on broadcast. I I do kind of like that, like, as Saeed is, like, making that, like, I thought it was really cool, Saeed putting the the map on top of each other and everything like that, and Jack's just sort of having to sit here and go, "Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, well, legitimately, <laughs> Saeed's grasping at straws. And the yeah. only thing that's now giving those straw grasps is uh, a any dream. Re- yeah, is a dream. It's the fever dream of a pregnant woman who Jack thought was hallucinating at the time of her abduction. <laughs> um, so finally, to wrap this all up, uh, Vincent had run off from the polar bear because, of course, um, Locke is out there with his dog whistle and Boone trying to... Uh, <laughs> to get Vincent uh, To back. get Vincent. Uh, Boone doesn't seem to understand how a dog whistle works. <laughs> Boone just, like, unquestionably, like, follow... Now is is John Locke's attack dog, yeah. who's just, like, unquestioningly loyal, just following him around the island now. And they hear something coming through the jungle, and they look, and it's Claire, and... Can I ask a question? Yes. Uh, right before we get this moment of Boone and John Locke looking for Vincent, um, the thing that Jack says upon Charlie and Saeed coming to this revelation is that, like, we can't just go looking for this black rock in the middle of the night, guys. We can't do that. Is there anything symbolically that the show is doing? I mean, it might just have been, like, a funny comedy bit. But symbolically, is there anything to the fact that Jack, who ultimately becomes Jacob's choice for the guardian of the island, the light, ultimately says, no, we can't look for this in the veil of darkness. Meanwhile, Locke, who is the who will become the chosen vessel of the man in black, is exactly doing that thing. He's searching for something in the cover of night. Is there something symbolically to that? Yes, because the show is brilliant. No, it's not, You just made it brilliant. No, I just, I thought 
thought well, about it contextually, and I was like, oh, I wonder if that was intentional or if that's just Jack being pragmatic and Locke being not pragmatic. I mean, that is what it is, though. I mean, it's it's Jack is a pragmatist and Locke believes in island magic. <laughs> um, so, since we're talking about light and dark... Uh, what is your light? What is your positive? What is your Jacob of the episode? Um, definitely just, I don't know if it's, honestly, just Michael in this episode, which is the heartbreaking thing, is that finally understanding his character, um, is, is definitely my light. And finally empathizing with this guy who's been surly and ignored, um, and kind of a jerk in, in some instances, finally understanding him and really... Again, as a personal thing, really going on his emotional journey is my light. And I'll get a little more specific. I think the, the, the scene that really brings all that home, I think it's an excellent scene when he meets Walt for the first time in nine years. Yeah. And it, I, I mean, it, that's when I wrote down the note that, like, it, it really hit home to me that they never even knew each other and that's emotionally so heavy it's so good it makes me accept tropes i hate like that is powerful writing and that is powerful for performing and it, it makes me really sad that again later on that ultimately this doesn't shake out in the way that was clearly initially intended however i will have to say that my dark that polar bear Oh, the CG polar bear? Yeah. That polar bear. <laughs> that and um, Boone fucking body shaming Shannon. That was petty. Oh, yeah. We didn't that even get a, to that. It's that a, a brief scene where she wants him to work on the raft. And she's, he's like, she's trying to manipulate him in the way that she's accustomed to. And he goes, nah, I'm good. But before she even asks, he body shames her for no reason. And I'm like, fuck you, Boone. I rem- this is why I went on about a rant in the last episode. It's because you're a douchebag. You know, I mean, you shouldn't body shame anyone, but I wouldn't say it's completely no reason. I mean, there's years of he resentment made... that she has also brought upon oh, herself. No. They, they have a terribly toxic relationship, yeah. but he made fun of her for being bulimic. Fuck you, asshole. Um, my uh, dark, my man in black, it's uh, puberty. It's a bitch. <laughs> And it's why we never really got to explore Walt's powers more uh, as much as we would have liked to. That is a shame. Again, um, you know, one of my big complaints about the show is plot lines that don't go anywhere, and this is one of them. But as it's presented here, this is great. This is all excellent stuff. That's why when you got kids on a show and you don't want them to age, just give them cigarettes, make sure they stunt their growth. Don't do that, you monsters. (laughs) No, maybe either don't cast the kid or maybe make a plan for when that kid shoots up like a beanpole. I I wonder every, every, uh, I always often wonder what's going to happen with these Stranger Things kids. (laughs) They're getting older, fast. I mean, they, they grow up. They grow up so fast, Will. I'm they just worried by. So fast. I'm just really worried by time we get to the end of Stranger Especially Things, we're gonna be like, like sexualizing Millie Bobby Brown, ew. and yeah, exactly. But I worry about these things. Um, but especially since the next season of Stranger Things is gonna be like 2019, like I, I think it got pushed back. I didn't even back. realize that. Yeah, I think it got pushed back. I thought I saw that. Well, Megan, where can the people find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. And you can follow me on Twitter at 
the real will link and you can follow us on twitter at no love lost pod and please uh you know uh, let us know what you're thinking and find us on uh, itunes listen rate subscribe we really appreciate it we love you guys uh and until then see you in another life brother Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Love Lost on the podcast Jukebox Network. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening. And if you guys liked the show that we put on, you might like some of the other shows put on by this lovely network. Um, Off the Cuffs, which is a kink and BDSM podcast, which is very popular. Um, Being There, Will Sean podcast. Will he? Uh, he does. <laughs> uh, you would know. Drinks with God and proud to be kinky. Yeah, so we want to give a big thank you to this network for, for supporting us, for giving us a platform to talk about Lost On. So, guys, it would really mean a lot if you would show uh, these other podcasts some love. Yeah, go back, give them a listen. If you like us, you might like them. We're on the same network. Only makes sense. Go listen to them. Give them all five stars. Do that. And then also give us five stars. Yeah, we could use it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>